welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Wednesday, December 9th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Hilda Solis, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. With the pandemic having gone on so long, many Angelinos are feeling worn out and maybe even overwhelmed. If you're feeling this way and would like to talk to someone, the Department of Mental Health has trained professionals that can help. They are available 24 hours, 7 days a week by calling 800-854-7771. Again, that's 800-854-7771. To keep up with the latest updates and sound recommendations based on science, you can follow us across all social media at LA Public Health or visit our website, publichealth.lacounty.gov. And now, here's Supervisor Solis. We'll begin today's press briefing with more hope than we may have had just a few weeks prior. With the FDA's anticipated approval of the COVID-19 vaccine, we expect the first shipment to arrive in Los Angeles County very soon. The off-ramp to this pandemic is now in plain view. Yesterday, our phones were filled with these images of hope where the very first British citizens received the vaccine. Soon, these images will be of Los Angeles County residents. On behalf of the Board of Supervisors, which includes our new colleague, Chair Pro Tem Holly Mitchell, The county's hope is that this news instills in our communities much-deserved relief in a time that has been so fraught with pain and suffering. We must balance this hope, however, with continued vigilance. This pandemic is not over and widespread access to the vaccine may be months away. On Sunday, we shattered our daily case record, hitting over 10,500 cases of COVID-19 in one day. The Los Angeles County ICU capacity is hovering at 11.8% today, and the Southern California region is that of 10.1%. This crisis is not limited to the boundaries of our county, which is why the governor's regional safer at home order is necessary. And let me be clear, 11.8% ICU capacity is dangerously low. Already, we have seen some of our hospitals have to divert ambulances for the for the night to other hospitals. This impacts the ability to care for residents, not just with COVID-19, but other ailments requiring immediate hospital care. Our hospitals remain open, but they are strained and healthcare workers are exhausted and in many cases are sick. And it's up to us, it's our collective responsibility to safeguard our healthcare workers and our community. Let's stay home when possible, wear our masks and hold on to hope that this unimaginable crisis will soon be behind us. Since the beginning of this pandemic, we have seen that our elderly populations are those at highest risk of serious illness and death due to COVID-19, and that has remained steady. Our data from last week shows that hospitalization rates for people over 65 years old are twice that of people aged 50 to 64. For those over 80 years old, the rate is three times that of a 50 to 64 year old. The data also shows us that native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, Latinx and black residents continue to bear the brunt of the COVID-19 virus and these gaps are widening. With the surge in hospitalizations, the inequities experienced by these communities is highly concerning. I wanna underscore this point. If you are Latinx 
black or native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, you are more likely to be infected with COVID-19 and be hospitalized as a result. In fact, adjusted for age, the cumulative hospitalization rate per 100,000 for native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander residents is 1,102.4 per 100,000. For Latinx residents, it's 68.2 per 100,000. And for black residents, it's 464.1 4, per 100,000. This compares to 216.3% per 100,000 for white residents. This is sobering, and it should not be this way. Many of these, those especially inflicted with COVID-19 are essential workers, but that alone is not reason for these staggering differences. The reality is that low-income communities of color are at higher risk. Structural racism and health inequities are to blame for the deep-rooted disparity, and it is something that I can assure you we will continue addressing long after this pandemic is behind us. We know, however, that there are many essential workers, many of whom are in those same high-risk groups who can't afford to stay home. And for that reason, I'm pleased to announce a new program called Safer at Work LA, thanks to our Workforce Development, Aging, and Community Service Department and the Economic Development Corporation. The public health restrictions, although necessary, impact businesses, including those who are essential. That means it's essential that we provide services to ensure workers that they can be safer at work if public health restrictions allow them to continue working in person. The new Safer at Work program offers help to specific industries that have been most impacted by outbreaks, and we have created materials just for them and all their workers. These resources include downloadable posters, graphics, training webinars, and links to other COVID-19 support programs. For example, the website has information about the county's collaboration with PPE Unite to provide free 30-day supply of personal protective equipment to businesses with 100 employees or less. And more information about the PPE Unite program can be found on ppeunite.org. So far, 59 cities and eight business chambers and 61 businesses have agreed to champion the Safer at Work campaign. Please visit saferatwork.la or call 1-833-877-8008 for more information. Together, we will keep our essential workers safer at work. Additionally, we recognize that there are other consequences of COVID-19. This includes the social, emotional, and physical health and well-being of our children. That is why I'm pleased to announce that Los Angeles County will be aligning with the state to permit playgrounds to reopen. We expect there to be mask wearing and physical distancing, but we know parents and caregivers will do that to ensure our children can play safely outdoors. Access to playgrounds is critical for especially our residents who do not have backyards or open space. And I want to take this moment to thank parents and caregivers who have navigated the many challenges of this pandemic from the very beginning. It's my hope this announcement provides some relief to you and your families. Thank you so very much. And now I would like to introduce our director of the Department of Public Health, Dr. Barbara Ferrer. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much, Supervisor Solis, and to the entire board of supervisors for your strength and your excellent leadership during this very difficult time in the pandemic. Uh, today, I'll be updating you on the overwhelming numbers we continue to see among our COVID-19 cases, our hospitalizations, and unfortunately, the increases in deaths. 
I'll also talk about the communities in LA County that are seeing some of the largest increases in cases during this surge. And I'll discuss the risk of transmission every time you are outside your home and you're around other people. I do wanna start by sharing a simple message for every business and every individual in LA County. Please follow the health officer orders for the next three weeks. Everyone should stay home as much as possible and only go out for two reasons, to provide or use an essential service and to be outside yourself or with your household members for some recreation or exercise. If you're a business that's open, protect all your workers and customers by making sure that everyone stays at least six feet apart and always wears a face covering. Collectively, it's up to us to stop the surge in cases that's already stressing our hospitals and overwhelming our healthcare workers. The Southern California region, including LA County, is currently under the state's regional safe at home, stay at home order. And the state is reporting that our current regional adjusted ICU bed availability is currently at 9%. And as a reminder, uh, the following sectors are closed under this order uh, here in LA County. Card rooms, wineries, breweries, and distilleries, except for retail, museums, zoos, and aquariums, personal care, and that includes hair salons, barbershops, and nail salons, and family entertainment centers. The following activities are permitted with safety modifications, including required wearing of a face covering and required distancing of at least six feet. Standalone grocery stores are now able to operate at 35% occupancy. Retail stores and shopping centers are able to open at 20% maximum occupancy. Restaurants are open for takeout and delivery only, and this will go at least through December 27th under the state's order. Parks and trails are open. Outdoor gyms are open. Uh, playgrounds are now also open, as Supervisor Solis announced. Uh, this is a change that was made today uh, by the governor. And schools and childcare all remain open. Again, everyone is adhering to masking requirements and distancing requirements. All government and critical infrastructure sectors are open, as well as all healthcare facilities, all operating under strict infection control requirements. Please do not delay seeking any needed health or dental care uh, during our stay-at-home orders. These facilities are open and able to care for you, so please seek out uh, assistance and uh, medical care when you need it. Uh, please also note that while youth sports teams are permitted to hold conditioning and skill building for team members during the stay-at-home orders, we recommend that any, teen acti any team activities that involve more than individual training, conditioning, or skill building be canceled. As a reminder, sports teams are only allowed to include activities that involve no contact, little or no sharing of equipment, and players and coaches are always able to remain at least six feet apart from others and wear a mask. Practices and games are absolutely prohibited and have been uh, for many, many weeks. Uh, and now I want to go ahead and update you on our current status. I'll take the next slide. Uh, we're sad to report today 75 additional people have passed away. 17 of the people who died are over the age of 80 and 14 people who died 
in this age group had underlying health conditions. 28 people who died are between the ages of 65 to 79, and 17 people in this age group had underlying health conditions. 17 people who died are between the ages of 50 and 64, and 16 people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Seven people who passed away are between the ages of 30 and 49, and six people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Information on the five deaths that are reported by the city of Long Beach and the one death that's reported by the city of Pasadena are available at longbeach.gov and cityofpasadena.net. Of the 69 newly reported deaths today, excluding the deaths in Long Beach and Pasadena, seven were residents at our skilled nursing facilities. This unfortunately brings the total number of deaths to 8,075 in our county. And for everyone who's now facing a future without a loved one or a friend who has passed away from COVID-19, we send you our deepest sympathies and we wish you healing and peace. For the 7,627 people who passed away where race and ethnicity has been identified, 52% are Latina or Latinx, 24% are white, 14% are Asian, 9% are black, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. Today, we're reporting 9,243 new cases. And this brings the total number of cases in LA County to 475,271. These cases do include a total of 19,186 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and 4,329 cases reported by the city of Pasadena. Uh, we're also re reporting a total of 2,702 confirmed cases among people experiencing homelessness. There are 3,299 people currently hospitalized with COVID-19, and 23% of the people who are hospitalized are in the ICU, and 15% are on ventilators. We've investigated now a total of 3,056 outbreaks. Uh, these are residential and non-residential sites with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Currently, we have 967 ongoing outbreak investigations, and we've closed 2,089. The total number of confirmed cases in institutional settings is now 47,773. This includes 22,626 cases among residents and 25,147 among staff. We're also reporting an increase in the number of confirmed cases at some point across uh, our jails and our prisons. Uh, today we're reporting 4,174 confirmed cases at some point in the jail facilities. 3,617 are among people who are incarcerated and 555 are among staff. There are 475 cases in the state prison, 386 among people who are incarcerated, and 89 among staff. And there are 763 cases in the federal prison, 743 among people who are incarcerated, and 20 among staff. And there are now 216 cases in the juvenile facilities 102 are among youth and 114 among staff. 
To date, over 3.9 million people have been tested and had test results reported in L.A. County, and the cumulative positivity rate is 11 percent. I'll take the next slide. Uh, it's always important that we share the metrics we're monitoring to understand where we are and where we are headed in this pandemic. Unfortunately, where we are and where we are headed is quite alarming. This slide shows the seven-day average daily number of COVID-19 cases by episode date. As a reminder, episode date is the date a person took a test or first experienced COVID-19 symptoms. And as you can see on this graph, the surge in COVID-19 cases in LA County continues. From November 1st through November 30th, average daily cases increased by 300%. And in the past week and a half, we've seen cases increase from an average of about 4,900 new cases each day last week in, no, in the last week of November to an average of 8,933 daily cases this first week of December. Next slide. This slide shows us the three-day daily average of our test positivity rate or the percentage of tests that are done that come back positive. Like our cases, the positivity rate continues to sharply increase. From early November through November 29th, our positivity rate has increased threefold, from around 3.5% to just over 9%. But today's positivity rate is now at 12.5%. Next slide. As cases have surged, we have seen a sharp increase in the number of people becoming very seriously ill from COVID-19 and requiring hospitalization. Since early November, the daily number of people currently hospitalized for COVID-19 has tripled in just one month. From 791 patients hospitalized with COVID-19 on November 1st to 3,299 patients hospitalized today. Each day, we continue to see the record number of people hospitalized since the very start of the pandemic. Next slide. Uh, this graph shows the seven-day average of the daily number of deaths from COVID-19. And as you can see, we are now experiencing a devastating increase in deaths. Since November 9th, average daily deaths have increased 258%, from 12 average deaths per day to 43 this past week. Since these deaths reflect our case counts from a month ago, as cases have continued to increase the past few weeks, we will bear witness to a significant rise in the number of people who are dying. While this trend line provides a frightening visual of our reality, the more terrible truth is that over 8,000 people, sorry, over 8,000 people who were beloved members of their families are not coming back and their deaths are an incalculable loss to their friends and their family, as well as our community. Next slide. I think this slide helps in understanding how cases increase, how as cases are increasing, hospitalizations and ultimately deaths increase as well. It's important to note on this graph that the scales of each of the trend lines are slightly different. Cases and hospitalizations are being on the same scale that's shown on the left side of the graph, and deaths on a scale with much lower numbers shown on the right side of the graph. What I think is important is that the surge in cases, which began around November 2nd, led to the beginning of an increase in hospitalizations starting around November 9th, and then tragically, 
uh, the start of an increase in deaths uh, beginning around November 15th. Next slide. As part of understanding how this surge in cases is impacting LA County, we're also looking at the areas of the county that are seeing the most increases in cases. This map shows the 25 communities that had the highest rate of increase for the two-week period of November 15th uh, through November 28th, and that's compared to a two-week period uh, between November 15th and September 20th, I mean, between September 15th and September 28th. As you can see, the San Gabriel Valley and the South LA County and the South LA uh, County communities have the majority of communities that have experienced the highest rate increases. The three top neighborhoods, the city of, Rose, of Rosemead, the Century Palms, Cove, and the Lenox area have all experienced case rate increases of over 400%. All 25 communities on this list have seen their case rates increase by over 140%. The average 14-day case rate overall for LA County for this same period was 622 new cases per 100,000 residents. Our community health workers focus their efforts in these communities as well as the communities that have had high case rates throughout the entire pandemic. They provide information on how COVID-19 can spread and they're connecting residents to essential services. If you live or work in these communities, please know that many more people around you are now infected. With much higher rates of virus transmission, it's critically important to stay at home as much as possible and if you're going out, to please always keep a distance of at least six feet and wear a face covering, especially when you're around people that are not in your household. In order to protect our essential workers, everyone should follow all of the safety directives when you're visiting stores and businesses or you're utilizing any essential services. Next slide. In closing, the safest thing you can do during this very difficult time in the pandemic is to really stay home as much as possible and to interact only with members of your own household. However, for most families, it's not possible for all of their members to stay only within their household bubble at all times. Many of us, and again, thanks to all of our essential workers, must still go to work. Some of our children are at school and we all need to access essential services from time to time. But every time you leave your home and you're around other people, you are exposed to COVID-19. The more you frequent different places, the more exposures uh, you have. And then when each person in your household returns home, they each will bring with them the risks associated with all of their encounters. When there are tens of thousands of infected people out and about each day, there's an increase, a significant increase in the probability that among the many encounters each individual has during the day, one or more of these will now be with a person that's infected with the virus. So minimizing the number of encounters is the first strategy for lowering your risk. And this means you should leave your house only for the most essential activities. When we do leave our homes, there are also steps we can take to minimize the risk. Again, similar message, you need to wear a face covering at all times. Uh, need to keep our distance at least six feet from all other people. So when you're at a store, a park, uh, or you're going to work, these remain the essential strategies we have uh, for trying not to infect others or get infected ourselves. 
This is the most dangerous time for LA County. And I do ask everyone to please be extremely careful and diligent in protecting yourself and everyone else. There is a great deal of community transmission and you are at risk of becoming infected when you're out of your home and you're around other people. So please use every tool we have at our disposals so that we can all be as safe as possible. I know the pandemic has gone on for so long and it's taken turns that we didn't expect. If you're feeling overwhelmed, please know that help is available. The Department of Mental Health's helpline operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they can provide you with referrals for mental health and wellness services. Also, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day, you can access the Emotional Support Warm Line uh, with trained active listeners, uh, and they're, they're able to talk with you. The phone number to access all of these services is 800-854-7771. Uh, thank you, and now Dr. Galley will provide updates from the Department of Health Services. Good afternoon. I'll provide a brief update today on DHS hospital bed demand model and what we're experiencing on the ground in the hospitals across the county. And then I'll touch briefly on the topic of testing and then we'll turn it over for questions. So with respect to the model, the DHS hospital bed demand model is intended to project and forecast over the coming four weeks based on our current hospitalizations, what we anticipate in terms of how supply and demand is going to be balanced. The transmission rate, or R, that we frequently speak to has held constant over the past week at 1.14. Because the R remains above 1, this means that infections will continue to grow across the county, with each infected person infecting more than one other person. Last week, I reported that hospital COVID census had increased by nearly 85% in the previous two weeks. This week, we see hospitalizations to continue this alarming trend upward, with a similar 85% or 90% increase in the COVID census over the previous two weeks. This is due to a large number of new admissions that are outpacing the discharges. Last week, I shared that the model projected that within one week, or where we're at right now, hospitalizations would range between 275 to 500 new COVID cases per day. Sadly, we are at the upper end of that range with nearly 500 new COVID hospitalizations every day. Given that we're just now seeing the hospitalizations that resulted from the recent Thanksgiving holiday, we anticipate that the number will continue to grow over the next few weeks with potentially up to 700 new daily COVID hospitalizations in just one week from now. Last week, I estimated uh, the projection that we thought about one in every 200 residents in Los Angeles County were infectious and out in the community potentially infecting others. This week, the model projects that that number has risen to now one in 140, with a range of anywhere between one in 100 to one in 220. This rising number of infected individuals is because R is still above one. The model clearly shows that based on the current numbers, it is likely that the number of cases will continue to rise with possible shortages in the total number of hospital beds as we are seeing happen in other counties across California 
and an expected shortage in ICU beds or intensive care unit beds. The supply of ventilators is still projected to be fine. This is both because we have a lot of ventilator capacity across the county and the state, and also because ventilators are used less frequently in the care of patients with COVID than they were earlier in the pandemic. And now, hospitalizations, when people are in the hospital, we try as much as possible to avoid putting patients on a ventilator, rather utilizing high-flow nasal oxygen or high-flow oxygen mechanisms, rather than having to resort to mechanical ventilation. To care for the patients beyond the number of beds that we have available, hospitals will have to implement their surge plans over the next four weeks. I want to remind everyone that the capacity thresholds in the model are based on the current number of available staffed beds. Every day, the EMS agency, the Emergency Medical Services Agency, pulls the 70 911 receiving hospitals in the county to determine the number of currently available beds. These numbers represent the current moment in time and does not reflect the various ways that hospitals can add capacity in the coming days. As such, these capacity numbers should not be compared with other measures of capacity that are put forward by the state or by other entities. As of this morning, the EMS poll of those 911 receiving hospitals is reporting that 1,096 total available beds are within the county and 129 available ICU beds, and that both of those numbers exclude neonatal intensive care unit or NICU beds. The number of available ICU beds has ranged consistently between 110 and 175 for the last month. That is despite the fact that over the same time period, the last month, there's been a striking 40% increase in the total number of occupied ICU beds. In early November, there were 1,520 patients that were in the county's 911 receiving hospital ICU beds. That includes both COVID and non-COVID patients. However, in early December, that number had risen 40% to 2,141 in those same hospitals. These numbers really do speak to the ability of hospitals to create additional capacity to care for patients when needed. And as I've shared in the past, and just very briefly we'll touch on today, they do that by increasing staffing and bringing in additional staffing resources from elsewhere, by redeploying internal staff from other areas of the hospital system, even though this does decrease the number of surgeries and procedures and outpatient visits that those hospitals or systems are able to perform. They cancel non-essential procedures, especially when doing so helps avoid the use of a med surge or an ICU bed. And they help work to make sure that patients are discharged as rapidly as possible when it's safe to do so. Hospitals can request additional staffing through the county EMS agency, and those requests are channeled through to the state. To date, 14 hospitals within Los Angeles County have made such requests. In a specific region, diverting ambulances to other nearby facilities can also provide some very temporary relief. Diversion in this context refers to when hospitals notify the local EMS agency and EMS services that they are temporarily unable to accommodate additional patients that are transported by ALS or advanced life support ambulances. This mechanism is helpful only for a short period of time and diversion is done in two hour increments because it results in really moving patients around from site to site and doesn't fundamentally alter that supply demand equation. 
As I mentioned, diversion typically applies to ALS, or Advanced Life Support Transports only. It does not affect BLS, or Basic Life Support Transports, and it doesn't affect typically specialty care patients. So it has no impact on the, on the transport of trauma patients, of patients who are experiencing heart attacks, or of patients experiencing strokes, who are being transported to specialty centers. This option is being used widely by hospitals across the county at present, with yesterday 77% of LA County hospitals using diversion at some point during the day. And that's in comparison to what's normal at this time of the year of somewhere between 10 to 15%. Hospitals can also implement other programs. This includes initiatives such as the home oxygen programs where individuals with COVID can receive oxygen from their safety of their home with close daily follow-up from specialty trained personnel. The Department of Health Services Hospitals has widely used this program on hundreds of patients with excellent results for the individual patients as well as the added benefit that we were able to maintain an additional added number of open beds to be able to care for higher acuity patients who could not be discharged home safely. As an added support for the hospitals across the entire county, public and private, DHS also manages the county's quarantine and isolation sites that are currently in operation. In addition to providing places where persons experiencing homelessness can isolate or quarantine safely, Q&I sites serve as an important location where hospitals can discharge COVID-positive patients to, who for various reasons when they're not able to go home to complete their recovery. Currently, there are over 300 Q&I beds in operation across four separate sites in the county, with consideration of opening three additional sites for individuals who are experiencing homelessness, as well as to accommodate additional discharges from hospitals, public and private. Now I'll shift briefly to discuss testing. We have seen an increase in the demand across the county, city sites, state sites, uh, county sites, for testing resources. Despite this, last week we still had 20% of the slots that remained unused. DHS has continued to add capacity, and we added over 10,000 slots per week during the Thanksgiving week, and we have explored additional innovative mechanisms to be able to provide easy access to LA County residents who are in need of a test. Last week, we announced the start of the at-home test collection program. It's a pilot designed to reduce COVID-19 spread during the holiday season, and will run through at least January 15th. Individuals can have a testing kit mailed to their home where they can self-swab and then mail the sample back to a lab if they meet certain criteria. Please know that these home tests are meant to be used immediately. So please only request a test online if you have a need to immediately use it. Since this program launched last week, we have processed with our lab partner Fulgent nearly 7,000 test kits that were sent out for home collection. If you think you need a test, you are always encouraged to call your provider. You can also visit the county's COVID-19 testing website, which is covid19.lacounty.gov testing, to make an appointment for testing and to learn more about who we are currently recommending seeks a test. In closing, I want to extend my deepest thanks to all of the healthcare workers and frontline first responders out there and frontline workers who so tirelessly have dedicated themselves to the care of the residents of Los Angeles County over these very difficult nine months. I also want to acknowledge the personal loss that many families are feeling at this time, facing a holiday and a new year, 
with the death or illness of someone that is close to them. I extend my deepest sympathy to those who have experienced these losses, as well as to the frustration and fatigue and uncertainty and many other emotions that is facing everyone who has in some way been personally or professionally or financially impacted because of COVID. And to everyone, please realize, just as Dr. Ferrer indicated, how absolutely widespread this virus is at this point. A few key numbers to keep in mind. As many as one in every hundred individuals that you interact with out in the community are infectious. And nearly two-thirds of all infections are caused by individuals who at that time have no symptoms and appear fine. Taken together, please realize how risky even basic activities and basic interactions with others are. Things that were safe one month ago or two months ago now are much higher risk and are not safe. Hope is on the horizon and we all know that the vaccine is around the corner, but please know that we can't sit idly by just waiting for that day to come. And I'm thankful to everyone for doing their part to helping to reduce transmission. We'll now take questions. If you would like to ask a question, you may press one, then zero on your telephone keypad. We'll go first to the line of Patrick Healy with NBC4 News. Please go ahead. A couple of questions, please. Um, could Dr. Galley uh, talk about what we think is driving this increasing load for the emergency rooms and in causing the need for the diversions? And I'd also like to ask about uh, uh, the state's measurement of our uh, intensive care capacity. It dropped like a rock after the governor made the announcement last week from 20% down to 11%. And it has only dropped slightly in the past several days since then to 9%. So what is the trend line actually showing? Thank you very much. I'll take the first question and then I'll turn it to Dr. Ferrer for the second. So the increase in diversion is just because of how uh, full hospital emergency departments are at this point in time. We've seen a large increase in emergency department volume, certainly within the DHS-operated hospitals, and I know many private hospitals are experiencing high volumes as well. A lot of patients are coming in with COVID symptoms, and a lot of patients also obviously have other things other than COVID. And we do still want people to seek emergency care if they have something that might be an emergency. We don't want people to stay away from emergency departments if they do have something that requires medical care. That said, hospitals are busy, and at certain times, they may have a number of ambulances that are uh, at those sites. And it's better to be able to divert those ambulances to other locations if there's the ability to do so, uh, rather than have those ambulances uh, have prolonged um, offload times at the specific hospitals. As I mentioned, diversion is only done in two-hour increments. So just because a hospital is in diversion and reported to be on diversion, it may have been for a period as short as two hours. And please also know that ambulances still maintain close transports. So they don't uh, have extended transports just because the hospital is on diversion. They still maintain transport times less than 30 minutes, uh, even uh, if it affects different hospitals in the region.
yeah, thanks, Patrick. Um, the calculation that the state is using uh, to determine the ICU bed availability um, is, is slightly different than just looking at how many beds are full at any given point in time. Uh, so, for example, for L.A. County, if you were looking yesterday at how many of all of our ICU beds that are for adults, how many are occupied, you would find that, you know, we had about 81% of the beds across the entire county occupied. Uh, but what the state is using is what I would call an adjusted rate because they also look at what percent of the people that are using those beds in your ICU are patients uh, that are COVID-19 positive. Um, and they have set a threshold that only 30% of ICU beds should really be occupied by patients who are COVID-19 positive. And that if in fact you have more than 30% of your beds occupied by patients who are COVID-19 positive, they make a downward adjustment, um, sort of you get a penalty. So here in LA County, I think, uh, you know, I think on Sunday, maybe we had about 46% of ICU beds were occupied by COVID-19 positive patients, way over the threshold that the state set and so when they look at what is L.A. County's, uh, you know, occupancy, available uh, occupancy uh, in the ICU, they determined that it was more like 11 percent, really making that adjustment. Um, but, but as I think Dr. Galley really noted, the percents have stayed pretty steady about the number of patients that are hospitalized and then will at some point require uh, to be admitted into the ICU. And, you know, right now it's, it's easily at between 23% and 25% of patients. So you can pretty much predict that as hospitalizations go up for patients who are COVID positive, uh, there'll be more patients that'll be needing ICU beds. I hope that explains that. But we'll take the next question. We'll go next to the line of Ron Lynn with the LA Times. Your line is open. Hi, Drs. Galley and Ferrer. Thanks so much for chatting with us. We really appreciate it at this difficult time and appreciate your public service. The first is for either of you, and then I have questions for each of you. First, there was optimism just a few weeks ago that maybe we had escaped our, first, our worst wave of the pandemic and that doctors just knew how to, how to better treat COVID patients and mortality was down. Now the state is seeing record single-day death tallies. Can you explain why daily deaths are up? Is it just that we just simply have so many more infections or is there something else? Like is the average age of people dying getting younger? Dr. Ferrer, can you explain why the county is relenting on closing playgrounds given that you've talked about the risk of letting them stay open? What do you say to people to who say, if you can reopen playgrounds, maybe reopen outdoor dining? And when would you guess on vaccines, uh, would they be available for everyone? Maybe May? Dr. Galley, can you share with us whether County USC's Intensive care unit has been full and whether others might be full. I think White Memorial was mentioned at the Stoops meeting yesterday, or is it that most hospitals are full depending on the time of the day? Uh, we noticed that the San, Gabriel, the San Gabriel Valley had zero licensed ICU beds yesterday. How do you deal with that? And then on testing, why is the current one in 140 prevalence estimate the same as it was in late June when transmission was clearly much lower back then? Thanks so much. Okay, that's a, a lot of questions. We'll see how we can deal with that. Dr. Ferrer. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ron. It's a lot of questions. I, I hope we get to, I hope we, we're going to remember all of them. But 
Um, well, I'll start with deaths, and I, I know Dr. Galley can also comment. I mean, we are really cognizant that mortality rates uh, are going down uh, for COVID-19 patients, and we're so grateful for our clinicians and our researchers and scientists um, who have, you know, are, are really have dedicated their lives to trying to make sure that patients are able to get uh, the best care and benefit from the advances we've made around the science. So between uh, the availability of therapeutics and also uh, new treatment uh, strategies for patients with COVID-19, I think it is really accurate to say that uh, the mortality rate has dropped, and, and we're grateful for that. Um, it, it doesn't mean that uh, you don't die, unfortunately, from COVID-19. Many people do die, as we announced today. Uh, a lot of the people, the vast majority of the people who pass away, unfortunately, have an underlying health condition. Um, and uh, disproportionately, they tend to be older. But as you can see when I announce uh, every day, older really, uh, in many cases, means uh, over 50. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're all over 80. Um, so, uh, so we have a wide range of people who actually are at higher risk and end up uh, dying. And we also have young people uh, with no underlying health conditions as well that pass away. Um, but, but we are benefiting from the fact uh, that the death, the mortality rate has gone down from COVID-19. Nonetheless, the link between cases, hospitalizations, and then people dying is still there. The more transmission you have, the more people are ending up in the hospital. And the more people that end up in the hospital, because those in the hospital are very sick, the more deaths we're going to witness. And we're seeing that play out right in front of us. In terms of um, the question that you had about uh, vaccines, uh, obviously, you know, uh, we, we've laid out yesterday at the board meeting uh, that there will be a very limited supply of vaccines, that this first sort of uh, round of uh, efforts on vaccinating folks will be limited to uh, really making sure all of our healthcare workers and high-risk patients at long-term care facilities adhering to the CDC guidance are, are going to get uh, vaccinated as quickly as possible. Uh, we're getting about 83,000 doses, hopefully with approval from the FDA uh, early next week, and we have a system in place already for distributing that. As more vaccine becomes available, there are also systems in place for uh, distributing vaccines, again, to, in this initial phase, the prioritized populations. We're working closely with both the federal government, CDC in particular, and with the State Department of Public Health uh, to make sure that there's alignment and that we're using the recommendations that come out of CDC uh, for that prioritization. Um, playgrounds, uh, the governor announced today that uh, playgrounds should be reopened uh, because they actually are an important source of uh, physical activity and recreational opportunities for children. Uh, we are at this point aligned uh, with the state health officer order, and we too here in L.A. County uh, will be opening up our playgrounds. I would urge parents and uh, caregivers, uh, it's not like... Uh, it's not like the risk that we've been talking about has gone away at playgrounds. So if you have decided that you need to take your children to a playground, uh, we're going to ask that you be super careful. The most important thing is you are required uh, to have everyone at that playground wearing a face covering at all times, and they should be distanced from people not in their households. Uh, we would strongly recommend you have a lot of hand sanitizer 
uh, because it's really hard to clean playground equipment in between uh, children playing on it so that uh, you can uh, make sure that your children are using hand sanitizer before they get onto any playground equipment and then uh, when they get off of playground equipment as well. There are no gatherings, so we ask that you not uh, use opportunities at playgrounds to gather with people not in your household. Uh, and we all do our very best uh, to get through this very tough time uh, by understanding the basic premises. We need to stay with members of our household as much as is possible and not use excursions outside as opportunities for a lot of mingling. And I'll turn it over to, to Dr. Galley. So currently uh, at LA County USC, there are nine open uh, intensive care unit beds. Uh, the, that, again, that means those beds that are currently available to take a patient uh, who requires ICU level care. Um, in terms of your question about deaths in general, Dr. Ferrer spoke to this. Um, I just wanted to, to underscore some of the points. You know, this is, this is a deadly illness. This is a deadly infection, can be deadly. Uh, and the increase in deaths that we're seeing are, are often, often lag behind. Uh, I don't think that that is in any way in conflict with the fact that hospitals uh, and physicians and providers and nurses do have much more experience caring for patients with COVID. Uh, we've gained experience about the fact, as I mentioned, that mechanical ventilation isn't the best first option to someone who's struggling breathing. It's better to use high flow oxygen. Uh, prone positioning has been helpful. Uh, uh, dexamethasone has been shown to be helpful. There's a lot of treatments that have been shown to be helpful but sadly, not every patient recovers, and I do anticipate that the deaths will continue to increase in the weeks to come. Uh, sadly, several uh, patients often have very long hospital courses uh, and are just not able to recover. In terms of the San Gabriel Valley, um, that area is particularly uh, hard hit, uh, as are some other regions uh, across the county, including in the northern part of the county. Uh, the EMS agency does work, as I mentioned, to use diversion status to help load balance. However, it still has to do that in a relatively local geography. And the hospitals in those regions are doing uh, work to cancel non-essential surgeries and procedures to help free up beds that otherwise would have been occupied by people coming out of those procedures uh, and will do their work to implement their surge plans to increase staffing. Uh, I think I missed the question on testing, but if you want to follow up with us after, just let us know. We'll take the next question. Thank you, and as a reminder, to respect the time and ability for the other reporters to ask questions, please limit questions to one or two questions per reporter. Next, we'll go to Phil Schumann with Fox 11 News. Your line is open. Hello? Go ahead. Please go ahead, Mr. Schumann. Hi. Um, Dr. Ferrer, um, it seems that you did a, a 180 along with the state on the playground issue. Why is that? And are you concerned at all about undermining public confidence if you change your mind on, on these major issues? 
Uh, thanks so much, Phil, and, and I appreciate that question. I appreciate the complexity of uh, trying to make sure that um, we don't confuse the public. So, uh, so thanks for asking about that. These decisions are really hard decisions, and uh, again, uh, it's a balance of trying to make sure that we're allowing children to get some physical exercise and have some activity, and again, um, you know, knowing that there's risk every time we go to places where there can be a lot of intermingling. I believe the state uh, looked at this uh, with lots of, of thoughtfulness after hearing from many people and decided that it might be better to allow parents and caregivers to have the option uh, after knowing uh, that we've outlined the risk. And, uh, the, you know, one of the issues that we've always had at the playgrounds has been that they're really non-supervised sites and that we have to rely heavily on caregivers and parents, uh, particularly with younger children, to make sure that, you know, there's as much safety and protection as possible. So, you know, I would just say uh, I think uh, this is one of those situations where we're still recommending uh, that parents not congregate at playgrounds, uh, that if there are a lot of children at the playgrounds, you not use that playground facility, uh, but we understand uh, that many parents uh, were desperate uh, to find a place where their child could, uh, in fact, go, and that this really hits hard on uh, oftentimes families who are living in places without a lot of green space uh, and without a lot of opportunities uh, for they and their children uh, to uh, to be able to be outside. So, you know, I appreciate that. Uh, we really think it's uh, appropriate uh, for families uh, to make sure they understand, if at all possible, find other ways for your children uh, to be able to be physically active. And if you are going to a playground, as I noted earlier, to take all kinds of precautions to avoid as much as possible the risk. Uh, and now we're going to go to uh, remarks in Spanish. So, Supervisor Solis. Buenas tardes. Soy la supervisora Hilda Solís, representando el condado de Los Ángeles. Comenzamos la conferencia de prensa de hoy más, con más esperanzas con la aprobación anticipada del FDA sobre la vacuna COVID-19. Esperamos que las vacunas lleguen pronto al condado de Los Ángeles. Esperamos casi 80,000 vacunas este primer envío. Esta pandemia ahora está la, la vista de salir. Pero les quiero decir que esta pandemia todavía no ha terminado. El acceso a la vacuna puede tardar meses en llegar a las millones de personas que lo necesitan. Recuerda que este domingo rompimos nuestro récord diario de casos con más de 10,500 casos de COVID-19 en un día. La capacidad de la unidad de cuidados intensivos del condado de Los Ángeles está rondando el 11.8% en la actualidad de la región del sur de California, del 10.1%. Esta crisis limita no solo el condado, pero también el región por el orden regional del Safer at Home, más seguro en tu casa del gobernador Newsom. Y si me permiten ser clara, la capacidad de UCI
del 11.8% es baja el peligrosa para la región. Ya hemos visto que algunos de nuestros hospitales tienen que mandar ambulancias por la noche a otros hospitales por la falta de capacidad. Esto afecta cómo cuidamos a los residentes, no solo con COVID-19, sino también con otras necesidades médicas que ocupan atención inmediata. Nuestros hospitales permanecen abiertos y los trabajadores esenciales están cansados y muchos casos también enfermos. Es nuestra responsabilidad colectiva proteger a nuestros trabajadores de la salud y la comunidad. Les pido que por favor no salgan, si se puede, quedar en la casa. Usen mascarillas y distancia a las personas que no son de su familia y también mantenga esperanza. Desde el comienzo de la pandemia hemos visto unas personas de la tercera edad tienen mayor riesgo de enfermedad grave y muerte debido de COVID-19 y eso es, nos ha mantenido estable. Nuestros datos de esta última semana muestran que las tasas de hospitalización de personas mayores de 65 años son el doble que los de las personas que 50 a 64 años. Para los mayores de 80 años, la tasa es tres veces mayor que los de 50 o 64 años. Los datos también nos muestran que los residentes nativos de Hawái, de las islas de Pacífico, latinos y africanoamericanos continúan siendo los más afectados por el virus. Muchos también de los afectados por COVID-19 son trabajadores esenciales. La realidad es que las comunidades de color de bajo ingreso corren un mayor riesgo. El racismo estructural y las incalidades en salud son los culpables de estas disparidades. Pero les puedo asegurar que continuaremos abordando estos problemas mucho después de que esta pandemia haya pasado. Sabemos, sin embargo, que hay muchos trabajadores esenciales que no pueden quedarse en casa. Por esa razón, quiero anunciar un nuevo programa llamado Safer at Work LA. Gracias a nuestros departamentos de trabajos, o se llama WIDAX. Las restricciones de salud pública, aunque necesarias, afectan a las empresas, incluyendo a aquellos que son esenciales. El nuevo programa de Safer at Work ofrece ayuda a industrias específicas que han sido más afectados por los brotes y hemos creado materiales específicamente para ellos y todos los trabajadores. Estos recursos incluyen carteles, seminarios del web y enlaces en otros programas de apoyo de COVID-19 y ayuda financiera para pequeñas empresas. Por favor, visita saferatwork.la o también puede llamar 1-833-877-8008 para obtener más información. Juntos podemos ayudar a nuestros trabajadores esenciales a estar más seguros en el trabajo. Además, reconocemos que existan otras consecuencias del COVID-19. Esto incluye la salud social, emocional y física de nuestros niños. Quiero anunciar que el Condado de Los Ángeles se alineará con el Estado para permitir que los parques impintales vuelvan a abrir. Esperamos que haya uso de máscaras y práctica de distancia física 
pero sabemos que los padres lo harán para asegurarse de que nuestros hijos pueden jugar afuera. El acceso de los patios y espacios abiertos es fundamental, especialmente para nuestros residentes que no tienen patios o espacios abiertos. Espero que este anuncio les brinda algún alivio a ustedes y sus familias. Gracias y ahora me gustaría presentar a nuestra representante del Departamento de Salud Pública, Jacqueline Vilenzuela. Buenas tardes. Hoy les pondremos al día sobre las altas cifras de casos, hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos que continuamos viendo en nuestro condado por causas de COVID-19. También hablaremos un poco sobre las comunidades en el condado de Los Ángeles que están experimentando los, may los mayores aumentos en los casos durante esta oleada. Además, daremos más información sobre el riesgo de transmisión que ocurre cada vez que sea fuera de su casa y cerca de otras personas que no viven con usted. Primero que todo, queremos compartir nuevamente un simple mensaje para los negocios y cada una de las personas que vive en nuestra comunidad del Condado de Los Ángeles. Por favor, siga la orden del oficial de salud durante las próximas tres semanas. Todos deben quedarse en casa tanto como sea posible y salir solo para, por dos razones. Para brindar o utilizar un servicio esencial y para hacer ejercicio al aire libre a usted solo o con las personas que viven con usted. Ahora, si tiene un negocio que permanece abierto, proteja a todos sus trabajadores y clientes asegurándose de que todos mantengan el distanciamiento físico de al menos de seis pies y siempre hagan uso de las cubiertas de, uh, para la cara. Colectivamente debemos detener el aumento de casos uh, que ya está empezando a preocupar a los hospitales y abrumar a los profesionales de salud. First slide, please. La región del sur de California, incluyendo el condado de Los Ángeles, está bajo la orden estatal de más seguros en casa y el estado informa que nuestra capacidad actual de camas en las unidades de cuidados intensivos es actualmente del 9%. Como recordatorio, queremos informarles los sectores que están cerrados, salones de cartas, bodegas, cervecerías, destilerías, exclu eh, excluyendo eh, ventas minoristas, museos, zoológicos, acuarios, cuidado personal, incluidos salones de bellezas, uh, de belleza, perdón, barberías y salones para las uñas y centros de entretenimiento familiar. Y las siguientes actividades están permitidas con modificaciones de seguridad, uh, incluido el uso de las cubiertas para la cara y el distanciamiento físico. Supermercados independientes al 35% de ocupación. Este es un cambio con respecto al lunes que se reflejará en nuestros documentos más tarde hoy. Tiendas minoristas y centros comerciales al 20% de ocupación. Restaurantes para servicio de comida para llevar y entrega a domicilio solamente. Parques y senderos, gimnasios al aire libre, bibliotecas al 20% de ocupación. Parques infantiles, este también es un cambio desde el lunes que se reflejará en nuestros documentos más tarde hoy. Y escuelas y centros de cuidados para niños. 
todos los sectores del gobierno y de infraestructura uh, crítica están abiertos, al igual que todas las instalaciones y servicios de atención médica que operan bajo estrictos requisitos de control de infecciones. Uh, no se demore en buscar la atención médica o dental que sea necesaria. Tenga en cuenta que los equipos deportivos juveniles pueden realizar entren entrenamiento físico y desarrollo de habilidades para los miembros del equipo durante la orden. A la vez recordamos que se, perdón, recomendamos uh, que se cancele cualquier actividad del equipo que implique uh, más que entrenamiento individual, acondicionamiento o desarrollo de habilidades. Como recordatorio, los equipos deportivos solo pueden incluir actividades que no implique contacto, a no compartir equipo entre los jugadores. Y por último, los miembros del equipo siempre deben mantener la distancia física, al menos de seis pies de distancia de los demás y usar una cubierta para la cara. Quedan absolutamente prohibidas las prácticas y los juegos. Ahora para actualizarlo sobre nuestro estado actual. Estamos tristes de reportar 75 fallecimientos adicionales hoy. Esto eleva el número total de muertes a 8,075 en el condado de Los Ángeles. Para las 7,727 personas que fallecieron, donde se identificó la raza etnicidad, 52% son uh, latinos, 24% son blancos, 14% son asiáticos. 9% son afroamericanos, menos de 1% son nativos de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y 1% se identifica con otra raza de etnicidad. Hoy también estamos reportando 9,243 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado de Los Ángeles a 475,271. También estamos reportando 2,702 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. 3,299 casos confirmados están hospitalizados actualmente. El 23% de estas uh, personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 15% están en ventiladores. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 47,773, incluidos personal y residentes. También reportamos 4,172 casos confirmados en algún momento en las instalaciones de la cárcel. Hay 475 casos en la prisión estatal, 763 casos en las prisiones federales y 216 casos en los centros de menores. Más de 3.9 millones de resultados de pruebas de COVID-19 se han reportado al condado de Los Ángeles y el 11% fueron positivas. Next slide, please. Es importante compartir los indicadores que hemos estado vigilando durante meses para comprender dónde estamos y hacia dónde nos dirigimos en esta pandemia. Lamentablemente, donde estamos ahora, hacia donde uh, nos dirigimos, es bastante alarmante. Este gráfico nos muestra el promedio del número diario de siete días de casos de COVID-19 por fecha de episodio. La fecha de episodio es la fecha en que una persona se sometió a una prueba de o experimentó por primera vez los síntomas de COVID-19. 
como podemos observar en este gráfico, el aumento de casos de COVID-19 en el condado de Los Ángeles aún continúa. Desde el primero de noviembre hasta el 30 de noviembre, el promedio de casos diarios aumentó en un 300%. Y en la última semana y en la última semana y media, hemos visto un aumento de casos en un promedio de aproximadamente 4,900 casos nuevos cada día la última semana de noviembre, a un promedio de 8,993 casos diarios la, prima, la primera semana de diciembre. Next slide, please. Este gráfico nos muestra el promedio diario de tres días de nuestra tasa de positividad o el porcentaje de pruebas que se realizan y dan positivo. Al igual que en los uh, casos, nuestra tasa de positividad sigue aumentando de una manera bastante alta. Desde principios de noviembre hasta el 29 de noviembre, nuestra tasa de positividad ha incrementado a tres veces, alrededor del 3,5% a un promedio un poco más alto del 9%. Para hoy, nuestra tasa de positividad es del 12.5%. Next slide, please. Ahora vemos que a medida que aumentaron los casos, también hubo un aumento mayor en la cantidad de personas que se enferman gravemente por COVID-19 y requieren hospitalización. Desde principios de noviembre, la cantidad diaria de personas actualmente hospitalizadas por COVID-19 se ha triplicado en solo un mes de 791 pacientes hospitalizados uh, el primero de noviembre a eh, 3,299 pacientes hospitalizados hoy. Cada día seguimos viendo el número más alto de personas hospitalizadas desde el inicio de la pandemia. Next slide, please. En este gráfico podemos ver el promedio de siete días de la cantidad diaria de fallecimientos por causa de COVID-19. Y aquí observamos que actualmente estamos experimentando un aumento devastador de fallecimientos. Desde el 9 de noviembre, el promedio de fallecimientos diario ha aumentado un 258%, con un promedio de 12 fallecimientos por día a 43 esta semana. Estos fallecimientos reflejan el recuento de casos de hace un mes. A medida que los casos continúan aumentando, todos deberíamos estar extremadamente angustiados por lo que esto probablemente significa. Es decir, la cantidad de fallecimientos que continuaremos viendo a medida que, sigan, que siguen incrementando. Mientras esta línea de tendencia proporciona una imagen clara, la realidad terrible es de que más de 8,000 personas uh, queridas de nuestras comunidades y familias uh, no van a regresar y sus muertes uh, son una pérdida incalculable uh, para las familias y amistades, así también como en nuestras comunidades. Next slide, please. Este gráfico es útil para comprender de cómo a medida que aumentan los casos, también aumentan las hospitalizaciones y a la vez se incrementan los fallecimientos. Es importante notar en este gráfico que las escalas de cada una de las líneas de tendencia son diferentes. Los casos y las hospitalizaciones están en la misma escala que se muestran en el lado izquierdo del gráfico y los fallecimientos en una escala con números mucho más bajos uh, que se muestran en el lado derecho del gráfico. 
El aumento de casos que comenzó alrededor del 2 de noviembre uh, provocó un aumento en las hospitalizaciones a partir del 9 de noviembre y luego, trágicamente, un aumento en los fallecimientos que comenzó alrededor del 15 de noviembre. Next slide, please. Para poder entender de mejor manera cómo este aumento de casos está afectando al condado de Los Ángeles, vamos a analizar también las áreas del condado que están experimentando los mayores aumentos en casos. Este mapa muestra los 20, las 25 comunidades que tuvieron la tasa más alta de aumento durante un periodo de dos semanas, desde el 15 de noviembre al 28 de noviembre. Como pueden observar, el Valle de San Gabriel y el sur del Condado de Los Ángeles tienen la mayoría de las comunidades que experimentan los grandes aumentos. Los tres vecindarios principales, la ciudad de Rosemead, Century Palms Cove y el área de Lenox, han experimentado un aumento de más del 400%. Todas las 25 comunidades que observamos en esta lista han tenido un aumento de casos de más de 140%. La tasa promedio de casos de 14 días uh, en general para el condado de Los Ángeles eh, fue de 622 nuevos casos por cada 100,000 residentes. Nuestros trabajadores de salud comunitarios concentran sus esfuerzos en estas comunidades, así como en las comunidades que han tenido altas tasas de casos durante la pandemia. A la vez, proporcionan información sobre cómo COVID-19 puede propagarse y también asisten a los residentes con recursos esenciales. Si vive o trabaja en estas comunidades, asuma que muchas personas a su alrededor puedan estar infectadas. Con tasas muchas más altas de transmisión de virus, es importante que se quede en casa el mayor tiempo posible. Y si debe salir, mantenga siempre una distancia de al menos de seis pies y use una cubierta para la cara. Y limite eh, estar cerca de personas que no sean de su hogar. Para proteger a nuestros trabajadores esenciales, todos deben seguir las directrices de seguridad cuando visiten tiendas o negocios y um, al utilizar servicios esenciales. Next slide, please. Para finalizar, lo más seguro que puede hacer durante este momento tan difícil de la pandemia es quedarse en casa tanto como sea posible e eh, interactuar solo con los miembros de su hogar. Sin embargo, para la mayoría de las familias, no es posible que toda la familia permanezca solo dentro de su burbuja a todo momento. Muchos de nosotros todavía debemos ir a trabajar. Algunos de, de nuestros hijos están en la escuela y todos necesitamos acceder a los servicios esenciales de vez en cuando. Cada vez que sale de su casa y esté cerca de otras personas, puede estar expuesto a COVID-19. Cuanto más frecuenta lugares diferentes, más exposiciones se enfrenta. Y luego, cuando cada persona regresa a casa, cada uno trae consigo los riesgos asociados con todos sus encuentros. Entonces, cuando hay decenas de miles de personas infectada, infectadas um, fuera de casa cada día, hay un aumento significativo en la probabilidad de que entre los muchos encuentros que cada persona tiene durante el día, uno o más de ellos sea con una persona infectada con el virus. Reducir el número de encuentros es la primera, la, perdón, la primera estrategia 
uh, para reducir su riesgo. Y esto significa salir de su casa solo para las actividades más esenciales. Cuando debamos dejar nuestros hogares, también hay pasos a seguir para reducir este riesgo. Necesitamos usar las cubiertas para la cara en todo momento cuando estemos con personas con las que no vivimos y debemos mantener el distanciamiento físico de al menos de seis pies tanto como sea posible. Este es un momento muy peligroso para el condado de Los Ángeles y le pedimos que sean extremadamente cuidadosos y que por favor se protejan y protejan a los demás. Existe una mayor cantidad de transmisión comunitaria y usted corre el riesgo de infectarse cuando está fuera de su hogar y está cerca de otras personas. Utilice todas las herramientas para eh, estar lo más seguro posible. Esto es un momento demasiado difícil para todos y la pandemia ha durado tanto tiempo y nos hemos visto en situaciones que realmente no esperábamos. Estamos viviendo algo verdaderamente sin precedentes. Si se siente abrumado, no está solo. Sepa que hay ayuda disponible. La línea de ayuda del Departamento de Salud Mental opera las 24 horas al día, los 7 días de la semana. Pueden proporcionarle referencias para servicios de salud y bienestar mental. Además, todos los días de 9 a.m. a 9 p.m., Puede acceder a la línea de apoyo emocional con oyentes que participan activamente y están capacitados para hablar con usted. El número de teléfono para acceder a, a todos estos servicios es el 800-854-771. Gracias. And now we'll go on to remarks in Korean. Actually, I think we'll go ahead and um, proceed with questions in Spanish. Thank you. We have a question from Luis Treto. Your line is open. Gracias, Jackie, por tomar la pregunta. Si nos puedes hablar sobre el tema que tocó la doctora Ferrer respecto a las vacunas, ¿para quiénes serían estas vacunas que podemos recibir la próxima semana y cómo se van a distribuir? Mm -hmm. Gracias. Muchas gracias, Luis. Sí, es cierto, estamos esperando la primera ronda de, uh, de vacunas aquí en el condado de Los Ángeles. Uh, durante esta prim primera etapa, eh, las personas que van a, a, a quienes le vamos a dar prioridad para recibir esas vacunas van a ser las personas que son trabajadores de salud, um, así que eh, especialmente por el nivel de exposición uh, que ellos tienen y, y eso es también en, estando alineados con uh, la estrategia del Estado y de nuestro gobierno, uh, nuestro gobierno federal y estatal. Uh, así que eso, esa va a ser la primera ronda. Um, estamos trabajando cercanamente con um, varios compañeros uh, para distribuir esa vacuna um, y vamos a tener más información en los próximos, los próximos días en cuanto uh, recibamos más confirmación acerca de si se van a, cuándo vamos a recibir estas vacunas. And now we'll go ahead and uh, for remarks in Korean. 안녕하십니까. 먼저 LA 카운티 커뮤니티에 있는 모든 사업체와 모든 개개인들에게 간단한 메시지를 전하고 싶습니다. 앞으로 다음 3주간 꼭 보건 방당자의 명령에 따르도록 부탁드립니다. 모든 사람들은 가능하면 집에 있고 단지 두 가지의 이유를 위해서만 집 밖으로 나가야 합니다. 필수 서비스를 제공하거나 사용하기 위해서 
그리고 각자 또는 가족과 운동을 하거나 약간의 레크레이션을 위해서 야외에 있을 수 있습니다. 만약 영업을 하는 사업체라면 직원과 손님 모두를 보호하기 위해서 모든 사람이 항상 6비트의 거리를 떨어져 있고 얼굴 가리개를 항상 사용하도록 권장하십시오. 우리는 함께 이미 병원과 의료 서비스 종사자들을 지치게 하고 있는 이 케이스의 급증을 막아야만 합니다. LA 카운티를 포함한 남가주 지역은 현재 세이퍼의 홈 명령 아래에 있습니다. 또한 현재 중환자실에서의 병상 용량은 9%에 달하고 있습니다. 다시 한번 말씀드리지만 다음의 사업장들은 폐쇄되어 있습니다. 카드 게임장, 소매 매장을 제외한 와이너리, 양조장, 증류소, 박물관, 동물원, 수족관, 미용실, 이발소, 네일샵을 포함한 개인 미용 서비스, 또한 가족 오락센터입니다. 그리고 다음의 활동들은 마스크를 쓰고 거리를 두는 안전수칙을 지킨다면 허용됩니다. 식품점은 35%의 허용인원수, 이것은 월요일부터 바뀐 상황이고 오후에 차후의 서류의 상에서 바뀐 점이 명시될 것입니다. 소매 매장과 쇼핑센터에서는 20%의 허용인원수, 식당은 투구와 배달만 가능하고 공원과 산책로, 도서관은 20%의 허용인원수, 놀이터, 놀이터 사항은 월요일에서 바뀐 점이고 추후에 서류상으로 표시가 될 것입니다. 학교와 육아시설 등이 있습니다. 모든 정부기관과 중요한 필수 시설들은 운영을 계속할 것입니다. 모든 의료 서비스의 건물과 서비스는 철저한 감염 관리 요구 조건에 따라서 운영될 것이므로 필요한 의료 서비스나 치과 의료 서비스를 사용을 늦추지 마십시오. 또한 청소년 스포츠 팀은 스테이 홈 명령을 동안 스테이 홈 명령 동안 트레이닝과 기술 연습을 위해서는 모일 수가 있지만 그 외의 것은 취소해야 합니다. 다시 말씀드리지만 스포츠팀은 접촉을 하지 않거나 도구를 공유하지 않거나 최소화해야 하며 선수와 코치 모두 항상 6피트 거리를 두고 마스크를 항상 써야 합니다. 연습과 게임은 무조건 금지되어 있습니다. 다음으로 현 상황에 대한 데일리 리포트를 업데이트해 드리겠습니다. 유감스럽게도 오늘 75명의 사망자가 있었음을 보고하게 되었습니다. 17명은 80세 이상이었고 이중 14명은 기자질환이 있었습니다. 28명은 65에서 79세 사이고 이중 17명이 기저질환이 있었습니다. 17명은 50에서 64세 사이고 이중 16명이 기저질환이 있었습니다. 7명은 30에서 49세 사이고 이중 6명이 기저질환이 있었습니다. 롱비치시에서 5명, 파사디네에서의 서는 한 명의 사망자가 있었고 이 정보는 웹사이트 longbeach.gov 그리고 cityofpasadena.net에서 보실 수 있습니다. 오늘 사망자의 69명 중에 7명은 전문 간호 시설에 살고 있었습니다. 이로써 LA 카운티에서의 총 사망자 수는 8,075명입니다. 
인종과 민족성이 알려진 7,627명 중에 52%는 라틴 계열, 24%는 백인, 14%는 동양인, 9%는 흑인, 1% 미만은 하와이 태평양섬 원주민, 그리고 나머지 1%는 기타 인종이었습니다. 오늘 9,243건의 새로운 케이스가 보고되었습니다. 이로써 엘레이스 카운티에서의 총 케이스 수는 47만 5,271명입니다. 이 수치는 롱비치시에서 1 9,186건, 파사디나시에서 4,329건이 포함되었으며 이두 시는 보건부가 따로 있음을 알려드립니다. 노숙자들 가운데서는 2,702명의 확진 케이스가 있었습니다. 3,299명이 현재 코비드19로 병원에 입원하였으며 23%는 중환자실에 15%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 하나 이상의 양성 케이스가 나온 3,056개의 거주시설과 비거주시설을 조사하였으며 현재 967개를 조사 중이며 2,089개는 조사를 마친 상태입니다. 시설에서의 총 양성 확진 케이스 수는 4만 7,773건입니다. 교도소 시설에서의 총 4,174건의 양성 케이스가 있었고 3,617명은 수감자, 555명은 일하는 직원이었습니다. 오늘까지 390만 명 이상이 테스트를 받았으며 양성률은 11%였습니다. 11월 1일부터 11월 30일까지 평균 1일 케이스 수가 300% 증가하였습니다. 지난주에 우리는 케이스 수가 11월 마지막 주에 평균 4,900건에서 12월 첫째 주에는 평균 8,993건으로 증가하였습니다. 양성 확증률도 급격히 증가하였는데 11월 초에서 11월 29일까지 3과 2분의 1%에서 9% 이상으로 증가하였으며 오늘 테스트의 확증 오늘 테스트 확증률은 12.5%였습니다. 11월 초부터 병원 입원자 수는 3배 증가하였는데 11월 1일에 791명의 입원자 수에서 오늘 3,299명이 입원해 있습니다. 11월 9일부터 평균 1일 사망률은 258% 증가하였는데 평균 사망자 수가 12명에서 이번 주에 43명으로 증가하였습니다. 이 사망률은 한달 전에 케이스 수에서 비롯된 것이 것이기 때문에 케이스 수가 지난 몇 주간 증가한 것을 볼때 앞으로 더 많은 사망자가 나올 것으로 보고 있습니다. 이 끔찍한 수치들과 이 진실들은 8천 명이 넘는 우리의 가족들이 이제 다시는 우리 곁으로 돌아올 수 없고 우리의 커뮤니티에서 우리의 친구들과 가족들에게 헤아릴 수 없는 손실이라는 점입니다. LA 카운티에서 11월 15일부터 11월 28일 두 주간 가장 높은 증가율을 보인 25개의 커뮤니티가 있습니다. 이 중에서 산게브리아오 벨리와 사우스 LA 카운티에서 가장 높은 증가율을 보인 커뮤니티가 위치해 있습니다. 세개의 지역들이 있는데 이 지역들은 로즈미드시티, 센츄리팜코브 그리고 레녹스 지역에서 400%가 넘는 증가율을 경험하였습니다. 모든 25개의 커뮤니티에서 케이스률이 140% 이상 증가했으며 평균 14일 케이스률은 10만 명당 622건이었습니다.
만약 이 커뮤니티에 살고 있거나 일을 하고 있다면 주변의 많은 사람들이 이미 감염되었을 것입니다. 바이러스 확산의 증가율이 높은 만큼 가능하면 집에 머물러 있는 것이 중요하고 만약 밖에 나가야 한다면 적어도 6피트의 거리를 유지하고 다른 사람들 곁에 있을 때꼭 얼굴 가리개를 사용하십시오. 필수 종, 영업 종사자들을 보호하기 위해 모든 사람들은 가게나 사업장이나 필수 서비스를 사용할 때꼭 안전수칙을 반드시 따라야 합니다. 마지막으로 이 어려운 팬데믹 때에 우리가 할수 있는 가장 안전한 일은 가능하면 집에 머물러 있고 오직 한 가족 안에 있는 사람들과만 교류를 해야 합니다. 그러나 많은 가족들에게는 오직 자신의 집안 사람들과만 있는 것이 가능하지 않을 수 있습니다. 왜냐하면 우리는 여전히 일을 가야 하고 어떤 자녀들은 학교에 가야 하고 또한 우리는 모두 필수 서비스를 사용하기 위해 나가야 합니다. 집을 나갈 때마다 다른 사람 곁에 있을 때마다 코비드19에 노출될 수 있는 위험성이 올라갑니다. 여러 장소를 더 자주 갈 때마다 코비드19에 노출이 더 많아집니다. 그리고 그러한 가족들 개개인들이 집에 돌아올 때그 위험성을 집으로 가지고 돌아오게 됩니다. 수천 명의 감염된 사람들이 매일 밖에서 돌아다닐 때 다른 사람들과 접촉하게 될 확률이 올라가고 이 중에 한명 이상이 바이러스에 감염될 수 있습니다. 그러므로 접촉을 줄이는 것이 위험을 낮추는 첫째 방법이고 이 말은 다시 말해서 꼭 필수적인 활동을 위해서만 집을 나가야 한다는 것입니다. 꼭 집을 나가야 한다면 위험을 줄이기 위해서 함께 살고 있지 않은 사람들과 있을 때 항상 얼굴 가리개를 사용하고 가능하면 다른 사람들과 6피트의 거리를 두어야 합니다. 이 팬데믹은 너무 오랫동안 지속되어 왔고 우리가 예상치 못한 방향으로 전환을 하였습니다. 만약 압도되고 있는 느낌을 받는다면 받을 수 있는 도움이 있다는 것을 알려드리고 싶습니다. LA 카운티 정신건강부의 헬프라인은 24시간 7일 내내 운영됩니다. 이곳에서는 정신건강과 관련된 리퍼리나 웰네스 서비스를 제공하고 있습니다. 또한 오전 9시부터 오후 9시까지 매일 감정 서포트 웜 라인을 사용하여 훈련받은 청취자와 이야기를 나눌 수 있습니다. 이 서비스의 전화번호는 8,854-7,771번입니다. 다시 말씀드리면 8,854-7,771번입니다. 감사합니다. Next, Ellen Chong will brief in Mandarin. Thank you. 各位下午好感谢你们参加我们的新闻发布会感谢督查委员肖律斯律师和全体督查委员感谢你们在这个艰难的时刻带领我们抗疫今天我将为大家更新目前洛县胸猛增长的新冠病例和住院及死亡人数
卫生官员的居家令，每个人都应尽可能的待在家里，只有在以下两种情况下才出门：第一，去获取或提供必要服务时；个人单独或与家人一起外出时，做一些运动。如果你是企业业主，而且开门营业。你必须保证员工和顾客之间保持至少六尺的距离，并且佩戴口罩。让我们一起努力，一定要阻止病毒的进一步传播。我们的医院和医务人员已经超负荷运作。什么行业现在可以开业？什么行业必须停止营业？在包括洛县的南加州，州政府的统计显示。加护病房的可用率只有百分之九了。现在是以下行业要必须停止的：一、纸牌屋；第二、酿酒厂，但酿酒的零售除外；第三，博物馆、动物园及水族馆。个人护理行业包括美美发店、理发店和美甲店。另外还有家庭娱乐中心，可以继续开始开放营业的，但必须遵守佩戴口罩或保持距离的这些规定的行业是：食品店可以开放百分之三十五的容量，零售店可以开放百分之二十的容量，餐厅可以开放外卖和外送，公园和栈道也可以开放，还另外还有室外健身。图书馆开放，但限于百分之二十的容量；游玩场所也可以开放，还有学校和托儿中心。另外还有所有的政府部门及关键基础服务部门，包括医护服务，但必须严格遵守防控措施。另外，请别耽误就医。尽管青少年的训练和技能培训仍可开放，但我们建议。任何超过个人训练、调节及技能培训之外的活动都必须要取消。再次提醒大家，所有活动都应是在不涉及个人与个人之间接触、很少或没有共用设备的情况下，并且队员之间和队员与教练之间都可以保持六英尺距离的情况下，而且佩戴口罩，绝对不能进行比赛或训练。下面是每日简报。现在我为大家更新一下我们现在所处的状况。很不幸，我们又有七十五人因新冠病毒去世，其中十七人是八十岁以上的长者，这十七人中有十四人患有其他疾病，有二十八人年龄在于介于六十五岁到七十九岁之间，其中十七人患有其他疾病，十七人年龄。介于五十岁到六十四岁之间，其中十六人患有其他疾病；七人的年龄介于三十岁到四十九岁之间，其中六人患有其他疾病。长滩市有五例死亡，帕萨迪纳市有一例死亡。有关资料可以在长滩市的网站和帕萨迪纳市说网站可以查找。在这不包括上述两个城市。的六十九个去世人中，有六人来自于首脸护理中心。
，这样洛县总死亡人数就达到了八千零七十五人。对那些因 COVID-19 失去亲人，从此无法与亲人相聚的同胞，我为你们送去最诚挚的祝福。因新冠病毒去世人中有七千六百二十七人的族裔背景已分类，分类结果如下：拉丁裔占百分之五十二，白人占百分之二十四，亚亚洲人占百分之十四，非裔占百分之九。另外，属于夏威夷和太平洋其他群岛原住民占比例不足百分之一，还有百分之一属于其他族群。今天我们新添九千。二百四十三例病例，这样洛杉矶县的病例总数就上升到了四十七万五千两百七十一例之多。这一数字包括长滩市的一万九千一百八十六例和帕萨迪纳市的四千三百二十九例，这两个城市都有自己的市卫生部，其中有两千七百零二例来自无家可归的人群。现在确诊的新冠病毒患者住院人数为三千二百九十九人，其中百分之二十三的人住在加护病房，而其中有百分之十五的病人需要使用呼吸机。我们对三千零五十六个大型住宅和非住宅机构进行了调查，这些机构均有至少一个已知新冠病毒患者，其中九百六十七个人在调查中，两千零。八十九个已结束调查。机构确诊病例总数为四万七千七百七十三人，其中居民是占两万两千六百二十六人，员工是两万五千一百四十七人。所有监禁场所的确诊病例为四千一百七十四人，其中三千六百一十七人为囚犯，五百五十五人为职员。加州监狱有四百七十五例，其中三百八十六人为囚犯，八十九人为管教人员。联邦监狱有七百六十三例，其中七百四十三人为囚犯，七二十人为管教人员。少年管教所有两百一十六人，其中一百零二人为囚犯，一百一十四人为管教人员。洛杉矶县有超过三百九十万的居民进行了新冠病毒测试。并上报了测试结果，其中百分之十一的测试呈阳性。康复数据、事发日病例数、跟踪并记录新冠病情和相关的数据非常重要。经过数月的跟踪和记录，我们知道我们的处境和病情的动向。但很不幸，现在我我们所经历的十分令人担忧。本图显示事发日数据的七天平均值。事发日的数据是指当事人的测试日期或第一次出现症状的数据。图中显示，从十一月一号到十月三十号日，十三号日增新的 COVID-19 病例增加了百分之三百，而在十一月最后的一个半星期内，每天平均病例以四千九百例的增加。到了十二月的第一个星期，这一数据达到了八千九百九十三例。呈阳率，呈阳率的三天平均值从该图可以看出，从十一月初到十一月二十九号，呈阳率增加了三倍之多
从百分之三左右到了百分之九，今天的成药率为百分之十二点五，每日的住院人数，随着新的病例的攀升，重病人数也相应的攀升，因此住院人数也会跟进。从十一月初到在一个月之内，住院人数翻了三倍，从十月一号的七百九十一人到今天的三千二百九十九人。每日死亡人数，这头显示每日死亡人数的动态，可以看出每七天死亡人数的平均值正以惊人的速度增加。从十一月九号这一数据增加了百分之两百五十八，从平均每天十二人到这周的四十三人。死亡人数反映的是一个月前的病例人数，过去几个星期。大量增加的病例会给我们带来大量死亡人数的增加。疫情的热点，作为理解疫情如何影响洛县，我们可以从其影响最严重的地区的数据分析。该图是显示洛杉矶县的二十五个受疫情影响最严重的社区，这些社区在十一月十五号到十一月二十八号两周内，病例增加的速度最快。相较之下是比相比之下的数据是九月十五号到九月二十八号的数据，这中间以圣盖波峡谷和南洛县尤其突出突出，其中三个城市和区域的受受灾最重，这三个城市和区域是 Rosemi、市中央区和雷诺区，其增加比率超过了百分之四百。所有这二十五个社区的增加率皆超过了百分之十，一百四十。这一时段内，洛杉矶市的十四天平均值为每十万人中六百二十二例。我们社区的医护人员不单着重于这些受影响最深的区域，同时也致力致力于其他社区，这为我们提供了 COVID-19 是如何传播的。也为当地居民所需的服务提供了方便。如果你生活或居住在这这些社区，请记住，这些区域内你周围有很多的人可能已被感染了，因此待在家里尤其重要。如需要外出，请一定要与他人保持至少六英尺的距离，并一定佩戴口罩。为了保护那些仍在工作中必须行动的人们。请一定遵守所有防疫指南。最后，我谈一谈，我们谁也不是住在气泡中。在这个严重的疫情期间，尽量待在家中，但我们也知道，有些家庭不可能只与家庭的成员待在一起。我们中间有很多人要去工作，我们中间有的孩子要去上学。时不时的，我们要外出获得必须的生活品。每次离家与他人相近时，你可能会暴露在 COVID-19 之下。你去的地方越多，这个风险就越大。当每个成员返回时，每个人都可能把风险带回家。当外面有成千上万感染者时，外出的人被感染的风险风风险就会成倍增加。减少与他人接触的次数是关键的第一步，这意味着。
除非为最必须的活动外出，千万不要外出。当我们必须离家时，我们必须佩戴口罩，而且一直要佩戴。与任何非家庭成员一起时，我们不仅要佩戴口罩，而且要保持至少六英尺的距离。这是诺县面临最危险的、最黑暗的时刻，所以我在这里请求每个诺县居民。必须非常谨慎和非常小心地保护你自己和他人。社区传播非常严重，所以你每次外出与他人相聚时，都面临着被感染的风险。请利用一切可你利用的工具来保护你自己和他人。疫情蔓延到现在，完全出乎我们的意料。如果你感觉无法忍受，请提出要求，寻求帮助。精神健康部门的求助电话七天二十四小时都对公众开放，该部门可以为公共提供寻医指南和康复帮助，还有每天从上午九点到晚上九点，情绪抚慰热热线都有受过专门训练的人在守候着电话，你可以通过以下电话来寻找所有这些服务。这一个电话号码是一八零零八五四。七七七一，一八零零八五四七七七一。This concludes for today. Thank you. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.